I'm sitting down with Zay, a DJ and music producer from New York City. Zay, how you feeling? Thank you for being here. Bro, I'm feeling great, man. Um, I know we spoke about this briefly a couple weeks ago. I'm just excited to finally do it, man. Um, I've been in a couple of interviews before like this, but this is like the first one that I've done like in an incredible studio like this. This is actually a nice-ass studio, man. Yeah, dude. Shout out Brooklyn Podcasting Studio. That's where we're at right now in Park Slope, Brooklyn. So let's dive right into it. So you just recently released your first single on all streaming services overnight, which features New Jersey duo No Filter Tunes. So when did that song, the idea for Overnight, first pop into your head? Honestly, it it really just started with me just fucking around on Ableton, just making up bass lines. Like I literally made a whole folder of just bass lines, and there was one that stuck out to me. So I took it from there, and um, at the time I didn't really do a lot of songwriting. So I knew no filter. Um, actually, Dave, the guy that's in it, me and him are like childhood friends. We've known each other since we were ten years old. We used to be playing guns outside, basketball, the, the, you know, stupid kid stuff. Um, I brought him in, and we just started songwriting to it. We put down a kick, we put down a clap. Next thing you know, I'm layering drums, and it just kind of just happened. There's really no other like crazy story that happened to it, it, but it wound up just working. And I was like, you know what, fuck it, let's throw it out there. Might as well. So the vocal that's featured on Overnight, that's Dave's voice? Yeah, completely Dave. I didn't, I didn't sing any of it. But we did both songwrite it together. Yeah. So, like, I wrote the lyrics. Um, I guess you could say the flow kind of as well. Um, yeah, I did all the vocal processing, though. Like, he sang, but I did all, like, the, uh, the, uh, the EQing, the effects, everything. So yeah. I did all that. How long have you been producing music? <laughs> I get this question asked a lot. Um, I've really, truthfully, I've only been producing for about eight months. Oh, wow. Nice. Eight nice. months. Everybody always thinks that I'm doing it longer, but it's honestly that I feel like I honestly got a big, I want to say like a benefit because I've been DJing for a while. So when I first got into producing, like it was, it kind of came pretty natural because I already understood music to a certain extent. Yeah, you had that experience with the live events, the experience with DJing, stuff like that. Yeah. So it feels like that could be a little seamless. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you want to say that, yeah. It was definitely, don't get me wrong, I put in a lot of work. I had mentorship. Um, shout out to my mentor. His name's Perari. Um, I was going and I was doing two, three-hour sessions with him every single week. Then he'd give me homework. And honestly, I just, I put in the work, but I, I, I would like to say I learned pretty fast. No, that's great, though. But yeah, it sounds like you grinded with it and you learned as much as you could in a short amount of time, which is great. Don't matter how long or how you do it. Excellent. Yeah, absolutely, bro. Yeah. Absolutely. So another song that you have out recently is your debut single called Shout. It's a sample and a remix of the Isley Brothers classic song, Shout. Yes. So what about that song from the Isley Brothers made you want to sample that into your own song? Honestly, that's a loaded question because it's, you know, it really is, it comes down to this. You know, I'm in the scene of a lot of Tech House EDM music. Um, a lot of my peers that are in my DJ group, they all love Tech House. And there's been a thing going around where you're just taking old songs and you're sampling them into new house music. And I wanted to, I wanted to hop on the trend. And I saw that nobody had done this song. I'm like, this song is fucking great. Everybody knows this It's song. a classic. It's a classic. So I was like, why not give it a shot? So I went in there. I took the, the straight up acapella, took it from YouTube, whatever, doesn't matter. And then I just started creating just around it. I you know, put down the kick, same way I did with Overnight. Um, I wrote a little lead to it. And next thing you know, just it just happened. Like um, It took me, I would say, about four months to completely finish. Um, mix and mastered it myself. And then... It was the first one that I put out on SoundCloud. Yeah. I couldn't put that one out on Spotify, though, because of copyright. Oh, because of the sample? Yeah, yeah. They wouldn't know Oh, I feel it. Did you try and go through the process of clearing the sample? Is that in the works right now? With that one, to be honest, no. Because it was my first one, 
Um, I just wanted to get it out there. I'm I'm a big believer, you. big believer in quantity over quality. Sometimes, I mean, I love you know you always everybody wants to make the perfect song, but especially when you're first coming out, you just need to be in people's heads. I think that's something that people don't really understand. Yeah. So we're both music producers. What is more important, the kick or the snare? <laughs> I think it depends on the genre. Because if you think of, you think about like reggaeton, that's a big Spanish one. The kick is everything. The kick, the low end of your song is everything. Same thing goes with tech house or like house music. But then if you're doing something, even like rap, rap also is the low end. I, honestly, I would have to say the kick. I would have to say the kick too. I yeah. feel like if your kick is banging, it's pulsing through everything, that can maybe make more of an impact For sure. than if the snare is a little weak. You need both. But if I had to pick one, do or die, I feel like I would have to go with kick. Yeah, I, w I would say the same thing. Just because, just, just from playing in so many different venues as well as a DJ, you know, the first thing people feel is the bass. Yeah, you're right. The first thing people feel is the bass because of subwoofers. You know, you have the place treated in a way that it it, it amplifies the bass. And that's the first thing that people notice when they hear a song. Yeah. Ask anybody, you know. For me personally, the bass hits me first. It hits harder. Yeah, for sure. So how long have you been DJing? Uh, I, I've been DJing since, I would say like six years now. Oh, wow. Yeah, I've been DJing for a while. That was my first introduction to music. Um. Yeah, I have six, six years. I've been doing it in college. Um, once I got out of college, I came to the city, started getting bookings in Jersey, through Manhattan, some Brooklyn, like all over the place. Like, yeah. yeah, I would say like six years. So what was your first introduction to DJing six years ago? How did you get into it? Everybody always asks me like what I've done to like really get into DJing and stuff like that. It's really such a simple thing. Like there was one time I was listening to this guy, um, Laid Back Luke. He's my favorite DJ. And I'm just listening to his music, and there was one day I was like, you know what? I want to try that. And I did. I went home. I literally typed in on Google how to be a DJ, and it just showed me what I needed to buy. And then I just went for it, bro. I just fell in love with it, and ever since then, I've just been obsessed with getting booked. You know, having the power of controlling a party is something that a lot of people don't get to experience. And I I take that into my being. It's, it's my identity. You mentioned want to be able to control the party and you could do that in such a great way with music absolutely and if you're performing and if you're djing you have that power in your hand yeah that's an exhilarating feeling yeah it, it really is um i would say the first time i ever dj'd uh in a bar i did some small gigs in like my backyard when i was you know first starting because i didn't have any bookings gotta start somewhere though. you gotta start somewhere you know like i had those my, my friends would come over and i'd play for 15 people that sounds fun though it was it was a great time it was a great time i can't i can't complain but um my first bar gig actually happened when I was in college at this place called Therapy. And this is the first <laughs> Shout time. Out therapy Shout bar out Therapy, Lounge. man. <laughs> Real ones, no. Yes, bro. All main 100%. Street. I loved it. I loved it. <laughs> that was my main spot, man. Um, for people who don't know, that was one of the spots that I went to college in. Um, we, It was a big place for Thursdays. So therapy Thursdays was a big thing. It would always blow up. Therapy Thursdays. Uh, so the greatest. The greatest. Yeah. But... um. That was my first gig, and that was the first time I went from playing in front of 15 people to 300 people. And it was like in the blink of an eye, it just happened. And I'm, next thing I know, I'm playing in front of this amount of people. And honestly, like humbly, I feel like I killed it that night. And that was the that was the one that just took me off to start playing at other places. I got a lockdown residency at that spot. And next thing you know, I was doing every Thursday there. Yeah. So it was fun. It was a great time. I, I take my college days with, straight to heart, straight to heart. So back in Oneonta, that was the college we went to. So yeah. that was... A performance that led to your first residency. You were at therapy basically every Thursday night. Yeah. And then it led into Saturdays. And then I was doing Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And then 
it closed down, as you know. Yeah. So I moved it went through over. a lot of different iterations. <laughs> it did. It had a lot of starts and conclusions. That place. Yeah. Flashback Fridays. Remember oh that? yeah, oh, Flashback God. Fridays. And before that, I remember my freshman year was called Gallagher's. Gallagher's, bro. I wasn't there. for I didn't that, even get but... to see it at all. It was. It was there. My when I first started my freshman year, it was there, I believe. Then it closed down real quick. And then, yeah, after that became whatever it became. Yeah, that place was always something else. And, and it was such a shame because I felt like that place, out of all of the places that were in Oneonta, had the best location. You had a back bar, you had a front bar, you had a full dance floor, two dance floors. But it just never never caught fire. It would always just die out after a couple of years. Like we said, real ones, though. That place was popping. It had so <laughs> it much potential. Shout out Oneonta for that. For Shout real, out man. Oneonta for real. It was. Great place. Prime location. Yeah. yeah. So that was where your first residency was. And... When it comes to performing live, what goes through your head right before a performance? Well, the first thing I do as soon as I get into a performance is I scan the room because that's going to be your audience. You always have to know who you're playing for and how they're going to receive the music you play. That's the biggest thing. It doesn't matter how technically sound you are as a DJ. If you don't know how to play the right songs in the right sequence, you're going to suck. It's that simple. And that's why you see a lot of guys, they really, you know, technically sound DJs don't always get the best gig because they don't play the room right. First thing I look at is, okay, who am I playing for? What's their demographic? Are they 20-year-olds? Are they 50-year-olds? Because I do weddings too. you know. And then I go and I try to cater to that generation. And I cater to that generation, and then I'll go and I'll take a risk here, risk there, and see what the reaction is. And you're constantly just looking at the crowd. That's what you have to really look for when you're ever you're DJing anywhere, anywhere. Yeah, playing the room is so important because if you have a different kind of crowd, that's going to change your approach a little bit because you want to have the best event, the best night possible. Yeah, absolutely. you gotta take that into consideration. Absolutely, and you know, I think the biggest thing comes out of it is that, especially now that I'm actually becoming, you know, I DJ full time now. I do music full time. I'm booked every single weekend. I have to find, start finding things that separate me from the regular DJ. You have to go and give an experience. It can't just be like somebody's listening to Hot ninety seven. They could do that at home. What can you do in the venue that night to make it feel like an experience? And that's you know, that's kind of where I'm at right now. So you talk about experiences. So how would you say that you set yourself apart when you want to make that experience? Okay, so this this is a good question because for me, I'm 100% Puerto Rican. Um, both my parents straight out of Puerto Rico. And I feel like a lot of people in my, in my group and in my niche don't do a lot of Latin-style music. So my thing is that's where I come from. That's the type of music I love. So the thing that sets me aside from the other DJs is that I get very funky with it. I go and I, I like to have stuff that's vibey. I like to have stuff that's Afro-Latin house, but mixed in with English music, mm -hmm. you know? I don't play, I don't go straight up to just Puerto Rico and just start playing the bangers from over there because nobody's going to know it. So you got to get creative. I, I mix the, the English with the Spanish, and then I make remixes like that, and that's what really puts me into a different direction. So you're blending in your influences based on where you're from, your family's from, and you're kind of seamlessly integrating it together. That's a cool approach. Yeah. That's a cool approach. What about growing up then even, let's say, so let's talk about then your favorite artist growing up. Who were your top three growing up music artists? It's a tough question, man, because now I'm in a lot of the electronic scene, but growing up I was big into 2000s R&B. So I loved guys like Usher. Um, I loved 112 back in the day. Ugh. Justin Timberlake is my guy, bro. I love Justin Timberlake. So if I had to say top three, it's probably going to be like 112. You got to throw Biggie Smalls in there, actually. I can't even, I, I don't even know how I forgot him. And then it'd probably be JT, Justin Timberlake, for sure. I got you. So that's your top three, top four. Yeah. That's interesting. That's cool, though. That's cool. 
So you mentioned now how you're a little bit more in the electronic scene now. And for people who are listening, let's talk about dance music and EDM. So what are the different forms of dance music? Dance music is so broad, man. Like, it's just so broad. There's so many subgenres nowadays. There's Latin house, Afro Latin house, deep house, tech house, bass house. Um, the things that set it apart are really just genre conventions. Like, if you think about a song that's called bass house, the main element is going to be the bass. And you're going to create elements and leads off of the bass. And then there's stuff like future house, which is more uplifting. Like, those are the songs with the high chords, and they have the great vocals, and they euphoric. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, it really just comes down to like what type of energy is does this song convey, and then that's the one that you give the subgenre to. If you know, what I gotcha. I gotcha. So, for instance, let's. What is the difference between house music and EDM, or does house basically fall under EDM? I would say house falls under EDM, but um, you could also like argue that house also falls under funk because that's where it came from. Motown. Motown is the heart and soul of what house music became. Yeah. Um, you think of guys like off the top of my head. Think of guys like Cool and the Gang or um, Casey and the Sunshine Band, even Barry White, you know, like those guys, Earth, Wind & Fire, that's where house music came from. Yeah. Those are the roots. Yeah. So it's it's subjective. So you mentioned your top three music artists, your biggest influences growing up. In terms of strictly DJs, do you have a top three playlist of DJs now? Who are your favorite DJs? My favorite DJs right now, Laidback Luke, 100% my favorite. Laidback Luke. my favorite. You mentioned him, yeah. It's yeah. Like he's a big influence. Yeah, he's he's actually the guy. Um, when I first started DJing, he was the guy that I would watch. He had this this thing on YouTube where he would go do this in the mix thing, where he would do a, a live set at a festival, and in the subtitles he would put like what's going through his mind at that point. So it was a good learning process. Um, Laidback Lou's my number one. Um, James hype right now because he's killing it. James hype is great, and then I'd have to say Steve Aoki. Have to. You can't. You can't. Can't go wrong. Can't go wrong without Steve Aoki. Yeah. Yeah. Were you a fan of dubstep? Yes. Yeah. Um, not a huge one, but I did like um Zomboy. I loved obviously Skrillex was middle school Skrillex. Yeah, like Skrillex was big for can't me. Can't deny too. him. Um and then I like Knife Party. Probably those are my top three for Knife dubstep. Party. Yeah, yeah. I got you, I got you. A couple moments earlier you mentioned Layback Luke and you were saying how when you first started DJing, when you first got into it, you looked up or you were inspired by Layback Luke, right? And then you looked up on Google and YouTube how to DJ. Yeah. Do you feel that Google and YouTube can replace college nowadays? Oh, bro, in a heartbeat, man. In I a heartbeat. Agree. I hate to say it, bro, because you know, I got a full I got a full college degree. But I tell this people to people all the time. I went to school and it was worth every single penny, but you gotta know what you're going for. For me, it wasn't even school. It was the fact that I was going to a party school, that I was gonna be DJing, that I was gonna be socializing, I was gonna learn how to network. And then I went to school for media media and production. So that's what taught me how to handle media. So I took that. And I took my experience from DJing and I meshed it into what I'm doing now. But, you know, there's a lot of people that go to college and they don't ever use their degree. And nowadays, bro, you could learn anything on, on YouTube. There's courses that you could get for free for literally anything. Name the subject and it's yeah. there. You know, so yes, that's my answer. I agree with you. I went and I got a lot out of it. I went, I loved it. It was worth every penny for me. But when I was 17, I knew what I wanted to go for. I went for music business, audio production, mass communications, because I knew I wanted to make a career out of that and apply what I learned both in the classroom, from the social aspect, mixed together, and blend it into a career now. Exactly. So I agree with you. Yeah, you got to kind of know what you're going for. But also, there's so much from the internet you can learn too now. It's amazing how it's evolved even in the last five years. It's true. It's, it's true. Especially in the music industry. 
yeah, you can learn anything based music based nowadays. There's so many software, so many things that you can just literally just Google and you're going to find out. That's what happened with me. I wanted to learn how to DJ and I Googled it and I just got pointed in the right direction and that was it. Yeah. That's all it took. After that, it was just passion. It really was. Yeah, yeah. When it comes to playing live and even when you're performing as a DJ, do you ever get nervous before a performance? I used to. Um, especially that first time I played in front of 300 people because I've never played in front of more than 15. It literally went from 15 people to 300 people. And I was nervous, but, you know, preparation is key in everything. And, you know, you get to a point, and I'm pretty sure any DJ that is watching this can, you know, empathize. Um, you kind of, at a certain point, you kind of just feel it. Like, I don't go into sets anymore knowing exactly what I'm going to play. Like, it just comes off the top of the head, and you freelance it. Yeah. Um... But honestly, I used to get nervous. Now I'll get nervous if I'm playing in a new venue that I've never played at before. You know, that's kind of where I get nervous. But when I'm playing at places that I play all the time and I'm in my zone, there's not a nerve in the world. So currently, where do you perform? Right now, I'm performing in a lot of places. Um, shout out Get Get Down DJs. That's the part, uh, the group that I'm in. That's where I get most of my bookings. Um, I'm playing a lot in Hoboken, like places like Tally Ho, um, Mills Tavern, Black Bear. Um, I'm playing at McSwiggins, Jersey City. I'm playing at 626 tonight, which is a great, great L LGBTQ uh, bar slash club doing Latin night there. Um, I played in the city, 13 Step, uh, Hair of the Dog. I played Blue Midtown, the DL Rooftop. I mean, I'm, I'm in a bunch of places right now, which yeah. is a great thing to have. You know, I can't, can't complain. Yeah, yeah. So it sounds like you perform a lot in New Jersey and New York City. Do you perform also in other parts of the tri-state area? Right now, those are my main. Um... I'm looking to do this festival with one of my close friends. I don't want to give out the name because I don't know what he's planning to do. But he's having a festival out in Philly. Um, I might be a part of that. Um, I also have a silent disco thing that I'm doing, which is, I think, somewhere in PA. I forget exactly where it is. but So, yeah, I'm, I'm venturing out. And that, yeah. that's kind of where my music's going to, my production is going to try to get me out. It's going to yeah. get me out of the tri-state area. Yeah. So, besides when you're at the venue about to walk on stage, a couple days prior, how do you get prepared for a performance? Truth be told, man, I've just, and this is me not trying, you know, I'm not trying to be bashful whatsoever. It's just the gigs come so often that you barely even ever have time to truly prepare. So you have to learn how to kind of just get on there and make it happen. I, I don't really do much during the week for a gig, especially if it's somewhere that I played before. Like, it really is just making sure that you have all your music ready and make sure that once you get into the room, you're in the zone. Like I said, you're reading the crowd. Those are the things that you do that really get you to separate yourself. I mean, preparation, you could always do. You know, I'm always downloading new music, but it's a passive thing. There's nothing active that I do every single week to make sure that I'm ready because next thing you know, I'm playing on a Friday, then Saturday, Sunday comes up. I don't have time to prepare for each one of them individually. Yeah. You know what I mean? So. And with that, with the music software and getting everything ready to go on your computer, that's what I meant too. Okay. How do you get your computer prepared before a performance? What has to go through a DJ's step, like a DJ's process, in order to get prepared for a performance with your computer, the gotcha. technology aspect? Well, first of all, make sure your stuff's updated. <laughs> That's the first thing. You never want to get there, and yeah, it's not updated. Yeah. Um, and then it really comes down to organizing your crates when it comes to, like, your genres of music. Um, the software really just does itself its own, you know, you plug into the software, and now you're good. But it's always the music. you got to make sure that your music is organized, and you need to be make sure that you can play any type of music at any given moment. Yeah. That's the biggest thing for sure. So when it comes to different performances right now, do you have 
half a dozen, a dozen playlists ready to go for any given night or moment? Absolutely, yeah. Oh, that's um, how it works? Yeah. I mean, the way I do it, the way I organize my music is through genre. Like, for instance, I'll have a 2010s bangers playlist. I'll have a two, two, like a straight-up 2000s R&B. I'll have dinner music. Like, if I'm doing a wedding, I'll have a full dinner music uh, set where I can just pick songs. I have a peak hour EDM set. Um, I have Spanish sets. I have salsa, bachata, merengue. Like, literally every single genre you could think of. Yeah. And I just have, like you said, like a dozen or so playlists that are also kind of like sub-playlists. And you just pick from there depending on the crowd you're playing for. Yeah, so you're ready to go in a moment's notice. Yes. If needed. That's cool. That's cool. So, yeah, it's, I mean, to like really answer your question when it comes down to preparation, just make sure you can never have too much music. That's the biggest thing. Yeah. Always be prepared to play anything. Yeah, that's a good point. You got to always be prepared. You never know when that performance may come up and it could be one that changes your life. But when Absolutely. it comes to this is what I want to ask you. So for people out there who may want to get involved with DJing, how does a beginner DJ get started booking gigs? Booking gigs, first of all, there's there's steps when it comes to becoming a DJ. You need to be a bedroom DJ first. You need to learn the basics. And people always uh, like obsessed with the the software or the hardware. It doesn't matter. Get yourself a two hundred dollar controller. They're cheap as hell, and just start practicing. Once you get ready for the bedroom, and when you're done with the bedroom, literally just go and talk to places. You see a place that you like. You like a bar that you go to that seems pretty cool. Go and talk to the owner. There's nothing that could happen. You know, the worst they could do is say no. You say you ask a hundred people, one or two are bound to say yes. Just go and put do face to face interaction. That is the biggest thing in the industry, hundred percent. Hundred percent face to face interaction goes a long way in the music industry. And like we were just talking about, go to venues that you frequent a lot, that you're passionate about performing. See if you could talk to people in person. It never hurts. You never know where it could lead. And they could just say no. That's the worst that could happen. And, and the thing is, too, I think a lot of people nowadays are scared to go and talk person like face to face. Everything's over social media. Yeah, exactly. But There's, both matter. It's not just social media anymore. Is, yeah, and, and you could really argue if you want to stand out, you go face to face because everybody's doing social media. I agree. So you know, when it comes down to it, man, like you really, let's just say you want to start playing at bars, you got to go out, go out, go out by yourself. You don't have to bring a family. You don't have to bring friends. Go out by yourself on a business mission. Look for the manager, talk to the bouncers, talk to the bartenders, get information, write it down, follow up. And also a big thing, too, that I also want to mention, you kind of have to have some documentation. Have a mix. Have a mix. Like, hey, this is my sound. This is what I sound like. Yeah. And then that's the way that you promote yourself. You know, you have, you have to have multiple things that you can offer value to these venues. Because if yeah. you're not, you're not going to get booked. And also, if you're going to use social media to reach out to either venue owners, people in the industry you want to connect with, Social media and your Instagram, your TikTok, your Facebook, that could be used as a portfolio. It's key. If you're going to reach out, have your profile filled with pertinent and lucrative content that you could show right away and people could check out. Like, oh, who is this person that DM me? Oh, they have all these reels up. They have all these stories up. They have all these carousel posts up, pictures. That could go a long way too. Yeah, and I just want to add to that. Uh, going back to what I said before about the importance of quantity nowadays. You know, social media is so vast and saturated that at this day and age, you just need to be in people's face. Sometimes it barely even matters what the quality is. You always want to make good quality, but you don't ever want to put out, not put out a piece of content because of some sort of insecurity that you have. You always want to put it out because with the repetition and just putting out stuff, you're going to get better like that. And it really is important because a lot of people, especially when they look up and down your page, they just want to see you have 100 posts. They want to see you have 200 posts because that means that you're active. And that is the biggest thing. Nobody, the, the, the motto that I always live by is a closed mouth doesn't get fed. You can't 
if you're not going to be speak up, if you're not going to say stuff with your chest, if you're not going to be out in the open, you're never going to get discovered. And I've even noticed recently, I've been doing a lot more research with marketing on social media platforms, trying to cut through the clutter because, yeah, like we just said, social media now, it is saturated, but it's still incredibly lucrative. It's an amazing tool. Absolutely. It's free. It's free. It's It's an amazing tool. But I've noticed too, with YouTube, with TikTok and Instagram, the more content you put out, the more high quality content you put out, the platforms will notice that you're putting out content consistently and it will eventually lead to new audiences, to new people that these platforms push out to. They want to reward consistent creators on the platform because that keeps people on the platform. And eventually if you put out high quality content, put out enough of it, they could put you onto more and more new audiences that could help you grow organically. Absolutely. It's hard, it's a pain in the ass, but if you stay consistent, it could really gradually grow and grow and then it could change your life. Yeah, and I just want to touch on that as well. Like, I don't mean to downplay the importance of quality because it is very important. No, yeah, yeah. It is sure. very, very important. I know what you meant. My whole thing is that you will gain more quality through repetition of posting. It's that simple. And, you know, throw your insecurities out the window, man. It's not worth it. You can't have somebody else living your dream. That's the worst thing that could happen, you know? Yeah, especially now while that. we're young, we got to go for it. Exactly. But I agree because consistency, the repetition, that will lead to you getting more efficient at that process. It'll get you better at creating content. It'll get you better at just thinking less about creating content and hitting share because then you'll get so used to it. It's like, oh, you know what? All right. And then you learn from the failures. You learn what works and what doesn't work and you just get better and evolve. Absolutely, bro. Couldn't have said it better myself. That's the way it is. It's the the God's honest truth. Yeah, for sure. In the electronic scene, so with social media, with production and just content creation, for someone who's a DJ in the electronic scene, how could someone cut through the clutter on social media in the electronic scene, in the electronic niche? I mean, it, it's, it really just comes down to separating yourself. I mean, it, the answer to that question is different for everybody. What do you bring to the table that somebody else doesn't? And it really just comes down to what can you offer in the scene that's not being offered already? Um, there's a lot of people that do top fives out there. I don't know if you look at TikTok, you see top five summer house songs you know, of 2020 or something like that. A lot of people do those. Um, me, I'm not a fan of those because I feel like it's being done everywhere and it's getting old. And it's really just like, what can I do that's so different? What can I do that's different from the person that's doing this? I mean, it works for them, but what's going to work for me? Because it's the, 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 the answer to that question is different for everyone. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So with the places that you perform, how did you solidify those gigs? How did you get involved with the venues that you currently perform at now? It was a multitude of things, but it all started with a conversation face to face. I did that with every single place I've played at. Um, I always make myself known that this is who I am. I want you to put the name to the face, and I want to be in your face Um, because then you can't forget me. That's always how it starts, but it's always, you know, it's developing relationships with these places. You go to a place, remember the bartender's name, remember the bouncer's name, remember the manager's name, get his number, ask for his Instagram, and then from there, they can also start reading into, like, let's say you have a link in your bio where you have music. See your music. They see that you make playlists this and that. So it's a combination of always being in people's face physically, which I think is so under underrated in this day and age. Being in people's face and making sure you have a documentation of all the stuff that you've ever done. Always be documenting. Yeah. And tip your bartenders well. Tip yes. the bartenders tip at the, the bartenders places. Every time. If you want to play at certain venues, you're at certain bars, interact with everybody, be extroverted and be a good tipper too. Yeah. but that, I, that's Honestly, that's another thing that I, you really got to touch on because... I notice, you know, whenever I go out and I DJ or even if I go out as a patron, 
I'm oh, I always tip the bartenders lovely, bro. You have to because they're yeah. gonna remember that. Yeah. They'll always do. You have to be if you're a member of the nightlife scene, you have to take care of people that are in the nightlife scene. They're working their ass off, yeah. too. bro. You know how it is, then you gotta make sure you take care of them. That's gonna stick in their mind. You know what I mean? Yeah. So the venues you perform at now in Manhattan, also in New Jersey, that all started with face to face. Yeah. Yeah. Face to face um, conversations. Face to face conversations. Um, I would say as soon as I got out of college, um, about a couple years ago, I didn't have a job. Um, I wanted I already made the decision that I want to DJ full time. I had five years of work under my belt. And I knew I had the 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 service. I just needed to go talk to people. So I literally would go Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday into the city by myself and I would just go to clubs. I'd pay fifty dollar covers just to get in to even have an opportunity to talk to somebody. And that was what got me to where I am now. Um, I literally went door to door. I I can't even I can name so many places that I went to and got shut down. Like, that's just the way it is. You have to go and be in people's faces. Like everything is face to face. Something will stick. I promise it will. And that's underrated too. People I've met that have been on the podcast, I met them because I went out by myself to Brooklyn, Manhattan, to open mics to different events. You gotta force yourself to go to events by yourself sometimes because you can meet so many amazing people. That they, that can then be a part of your music career as well, your creative career, all that. Yeah, that's, that's underrated. Just going out to events and networking by yourself. Go to open mics, go to shows. You don't always have to wait on people. No, I mean waiting on people is like the polar opposite of what you want to do. Really, like you want to make sure you get out there and you're you're making the active effort to do something that the other person, other people in your competition aren't doing, bro. You gotta yeah. you gotta talk to people straight up. Like I. I got turned down so many times, it's not even funny, man. But That's part of the game. It's yeah. part of the game, bro. It's like, you know, if you want to eat, bro, you got to go. You got to go for it. Like, there's no other way around it. Insecurities have to be out the window. Yeah. And it's a tough thing for people, bro. I'm still not perfect. Like, I have my own stuff that I go through and, like, the stuff that I feel about certain gigs and, you know, how I'm perceived and the reputation that I have. But you, you can't worry about that stuff because you're just not going to, you're not going to win. No, no. You won't win. So let's get back to the two songs you released recently. So first with Shout, when you were marketing that song, when it came out, with marketing, you were going for the green and black colorway. Yes. Why those colors in your content with that release? In all honesty, it just seemed to work. I had, an, um, I had a person helping me with the artwork, and I pitched them a bunch of ideas. I wanted a silhouette. I wanted a person looking like they were shouting. If you look at it, the guy's shouting yeah, to the into microphone. the mic. It looks like, yeah, yeah. So, I was just messing around with colors. I don't want to do the regular colors that a lot of people do. I haven't seen a lot of people do green. So I was like, you know what? Let's do green for this one. You know? Yeah. And that's that's what we were stuck with. And I think it's honestly looks really good to me. You know? No, nah, yeah, the cover art's cool. Cover art's cool. And if also if you notice it with overnight, it's the same theme, the same yeah. cover. It's the it's a silhouettes with instead of green, it's red. Yeah. So it's the same thing. It's kind of like a thing that I'm trying to build. Yeah. When it comes to branding in the music industry, how important do you think is color? Color is important. Um, colors you choose. The colors are super important because it's going to be associated with the energy you're trying to convey. Like, especially with EDM, you want things. If you're making a song that's very euphoric and it's highlighted and and it's it's very uplifting, you want to have bright colors because that's associated with the energy. If you're making something a little deeper, you want to have deeper colors, like a red, like Overnight. Overnight's a really super... I don't even know what the word is for. It's very monotone. It's very bass heavy, so I wanted to go with something lighter. Shout is a little different. He's shouting. He's a little more euphoric, so I went with green. Yeah, yeah. So when you guys were creating Overnight, Dave was the vocalist on that. Were you guys in the room together throughout the creation of that song, or were you going back and forth via, let's say, Zoom, social media, 
no we were in the room for every single session yeah so it, it like i said it started off with me making the like the 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 core of the song like the 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 lead the bass line i brought it to him and he well he came to me and we were in the studio together and we just literally started writing down things and we went through trial and error and it took i would say maybe four or five sessions and we had a full vocal and just went from there man i just yeah. processed it and it was done yeah it was good with your career in the music industry with what you're pursuing now what is the end goal? What do you want to accomplish in the next five years? I've had this question asked so many times from just my peers. And I think it's important, to be honest, I don't have an end goal. I'm reaching for the endless. I, there, there shouldn't be an end goal, bro. This is a lifestyle. This is something that you should always be striving for the next step. Because those guys are the ones that are winning in this game. Um, but if we had to talk about five years, bro, I, I would love, first of all, play at some festivals that's something on my bucket list any festival even if it's opening I want to play at some festivals I want to have a, a hit song at least one or two and I just want to be I just want to have a reputation I want to have a reputation that I could build off of going into my 30s yeah that sounds great that sounds great the rest of the year do you have new music coming out yes I I have these two that just came out shout and overnight and I already have two that are already done on retainer I'm retainer. I'm retainer. Um, I'm not gonna say the release dates yet. They'll come around. Um, but expect one before the summer's over. I'll say that, and then another one right before at least New Year's. So I got you. Any more exclusive info you could share with us? Maybe possible titles, producers, or collaborators. Um, right now, no filter. Those are my guys. Those are my big guys. Um, I am doing some ghost production with some people. I don't want to give out the names just yet because I gotta get I gotta get the approval. But um. I'm I'm diving into a lot of hip hop as well, man. Um, I'm doing some ghost production and ghost writing for hip hop, along with the EDM that I'm doing. Um, and I'm doing Spanish music. I'm doing reggaeton. I'm doing Latin house. So a lot of lot of stuff that's gonna be happening soon. So yeah. I'm, I'm excited for it. Now that sounds really exciting. Yeah. So where can we find you live? Where are you performing live? What venues are you playing at? Upcoming, this that we can find you. August I am at Tally Ho in Hoboken three times. I'm there the 4th, the 18th, and the 20th. Um, I'm at 626 tonight. Um, I'm at, off the top of my head, I can't even remember. I got Birch for a Sunday brunch. I also do brunches, by the way. I do not always just night gigs. I do day gigs, everything you can think of. So I would say Tally Ho, Birch, Black Bear, Mills are probably going to be my main four this coming August. Yeah, that's where you got the main four for the upcoming part of the summer. Yes, yeah. I got you. The next you. for August. September, we're still, you know, it's still in the works, but. I got you, I got you. Zay, what else do you want to share with the audience about your career, about anything? To be honest, man, I just want to, I just want to, I just want to give people something to be happy about, man. Like, I, I love music and I want to share my passion with the world as respectfully and humbly as I can. I want to do big things and I plan to. I have no plan B. This is my plan A and I'm sticking with it. Exactly. That's how I feel. I've said that so many times to other people, family members. Why have a plan B? There is no need for a plan B. Just I, have a plan A. It's like, bro, I have such a strong opinion. Why are you going to doubt? I feel <laughs> I have such a strong opinion about it too. This got me. Bro, like I have such a strong opinion about people saying plan B, man. Like, bro, a plan B almost guarantees you your that being your plan A. If you have something to fall back on, then you're almost like always going to fall back on it and you will never succeed. You will never succeed. You can't, there's no safety net in this world, bro. There's no safety net. You have to go after what you want, and it has to be the only thing you're focused on. Because if you have a plan B in your back pocket, you're always going to be leaning on that, and you're not going to give 100%. I 100% agree. You can't give yourself an option. you got to have laser beam focus. Just go for it, especially while you're young. You have nothing to lose. Nothing. I've said this numerous times. 
especially now, just go for it. There's no need for a plan B. Safety nets are where dreams go to die, man. I'm telling you. Yeah, you the, stability, the stability is where the dreams go to die. Why let that enter into your life? It's the way it is. It's true. It's so true. That's literally what my focal point is right now, man. I feel that. I feel that 100%. So, Zay, where can we find you on social media? Let the audience know all of your social media platform and handles, everything. Got you. So, um, on Instagram, Zay the DJ underscore. TikTok, Zay the DJ underscore. I got Twitter, um, Zay the DJ underscore. Um, I'm on SoundCloud. Just type in Zay. Spotify, Apple Music, Google Music. Um, pretty much every single streaming platform my overnight song is on. Just look up Zay and then overnight and you'll find me literally everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Do you also have a... Did you mention TikTok? Do you have a yeah, TikTok? I have a TikTok. I have a TikTok. Zay the DJ underscore for that one too. Got you. YouTube channel, anything like that? Oh, YouTube as well. Yeah, I have a YouTube channel where I post mixes. Um, I do stuff. I did some shorts. I do reels. Um, mainly mixes. I have a bunch up there. I would say probably like 20 catalog mixes in there. That's also something that I give to venues when they want to hear me play before I actually sh come up. So, yeah. Find me on anything, bro. I'm literally on every single platform. Yeah. Sounds good. Zay, thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate Absolutely, it. Absolutely, bro. Absolutely. Guys, go check out Zay on social media as well as his two brand new singles, Shout and Overnight. Overnight, featuring No Filter, is available on all streaming platforms at Zay on all streaming platforms, yep. right? Yep. Thank you guys for tuning in for another episode. Let me start that one over. Thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of Miltrick Media. I sat down with Zay the DJ. He's New York City born and raised. Thank you for tuning in, and we will see you soon. Thank you.